Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to see you. Great to be here. I have a lot of wires hanging off my ears. Please do not be alarmed. This is for recording because the recordings of the sermon have not been up to par, so we're trying to upgrade that and make them better. And then this is here, my, here's my earpiece so you can hear me. We are in, uh, the, we're coming on a landing on the, on the, just the Oikos teaching. Today's the last installment of the Oikos steps. And if you're new today, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, the Oikos or the Oikos principle is the, the idea is that the primary way that Jesus spread his message was through a relational world, households. And that's what Oikos means. Um, it's in term, in, in the Greek culture, at times, they would not just have their immediate family, they'd have their uncles and cousins. It'd be a big family. It's a big deal. They were living together. They're almost Latin. It was crazy. They would all live together and hang out together. And so the oikos was just not just their son and daughter, but it included their sphere of influence, the people that they, they do life with. So today, we're going to talk about preparing, because last week we talked about inviting people into your oikos, inviting people to church. And what I said to you was, if you can invite them into your relationship with God, if you can find opportunities where you pray with them when something rattled them enough where they want to look up, they're inviting, you're inviting them to church. And that's better than any sermon that I'll ever preach or that I'll ever hear, is to watch them see your relationship with God. And the idea of oikos is where you are the church, so wherever you go, church is there. Yeah, we're meeting here, but I'm only preparing you to launch you into next week so you can engage your world through the oikos principle. You can engage and spend time and invest because we've asked you to make a list. We've asked you to look through the list. We've asked you to pray for the list. I'm not going to hand this out because I know you're, it's almost nauseating now that I, I bring this out. But we gave this to you so you can make a list. You can pray for them. And then you can invest in them and invite them. And then also, it gives you little, little topics like, okay, these people are clearly not Christians, so we call them pre-Christians or non-Christians. And then there's people that are prodigals, people that have, have left, that you know have been faithful disciples and something happened, they got discouraged and they just are no longer following God. We want to put them on the list too. And then there are purposefuls, people that are, are actively living. And I, you know, I spend time with a lot of people in church, and those, I have some purposefuls. I want to go in there and spend some time, have, a little, have some time privately talking about our faith, talking about our struggles, talking about life, talking about God. That's purposeful. And then there's the last section where there's potential. People that seem to just show up in your life here and there, but they're potentials. They, they come around, they show up. It's a possibility. Sometimes it's, your, it's, a, it's that seasonal hobby you have, like fantasy football. There's a guy over there, he, he, he shows up to the fantasy league. He just shows up. Or maybe it's your kid's soccer season this fall. There's families and there's people. There are potentials. The point is, you have a relational world. And the world is smaller than you think. And if we can open our eyes to that world and engage that world, we will find ourselves being very effective disciples and multiplying disciples and advancing the kingdom 
of God. Isn't that cool? Okay. And if you're really, really excited and you want to go and share with 50 people, complete strangers, do that too. If that fires you up, go get it. I know our campus does that. They do that, but they also do oikos. There's people in their classrooms. They want to build friendships. They want to engage. So today is preparing for your oikos. Why do athletes train? Some of you are ex-athletes. Why did you train? Why do teams practice? Why do coaches prepare a game plan? Why do they think they do that? Why do that? Why train? Why prepare for a game plan? Why do all that? Uh, you gonna, uh, any, any, uh, to be better on the field? Get better? Anybody else? To win the game, to win the game right? They want to be as effective as possible. They want to leave it all on the field. When I played sports, I wanted to leave it all on the field. I, pre I prepared, I trained, I studied, and when I played, I left it all on the field because I wanted to give my team the best chance of winning. Now I'm playing basketball every Thursday, and I can't help my team very much, but I'm trying. I try really hard. But I'm not that good at basketball. It's a new sport for me. In the same way, as we, as we as followers, of, as being disciples of Jesus, we need to train ourselves. We need to practice. And we need to prepare ourselves. Not just to win a competition or a game, but preparing ourselves for our oikos, the people in our relational in our world. We want to win. We want to win for Christ. We want to win for Jesus. And we're going to explore the very first letter that Paul wrote the Corinthian church. We're going to kind of grab some nuggets and how we can prepare ourselves for our oikos. So today, if you'll join me in prayer, we will begin our study. God, thank you so much for this time to look into your word. We pray that we will gain insight, we'll gain knowledge, but God, most importantly, will we'll grow in and changing our hearts, and so we can have a humble disposition before you. God, we want to be effective as disciples. We know that you want the message of Jesus to get out, and we pray, God, that we will be alert, we will focus, we will train, and we will prepare ourselves to engage our world and win as many as possible for Jesus. Amen. Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it reads, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere, everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank you. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. You know, the Corinthians church was near and dear to Paul's heart. He established it on one of his missionary journeys. Let me show you a little map. It's about 52 AD, and, and, and his first missionary, he championed his way around. His first journey was just kind of short, and his second journey was longer. 
and he ends up in uh, Macedonia and he goes into Corinth and that's where he plants the church and starts the church. And shortly after uh, the famous council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, he goes into Macedonia, northern Greece, and he establishes the Christians' churches there, the first ones ever in European continent. And then he leaves Silas and Timothy in Berea. If you remember that, Bereans. He leaves them there and makes his way toward Athens and finally toward Corinth. And this was the golden age of Greece. This was, uh, they were leading in culture under the Roman Empire. They were very rich because that seaport had a lot of commercial business. And Corinth became wealthy. And it was luxurious, but it was also very immoral. It's the same we have in in the United States, in California. And if you live in Las Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. They had a similar one in Corinth. Corinth. You know what it was? To live like a Corinthian. It meant basically the same thing. Because the church in Corinth included some Jews and included some Gentiles. But it was mostly a Gentile church. There were some cool disciples made in that, in that some high-level disciples. There was a guy named Aratus. He was the director of public works. There was Priscilla and Aquila. They became disciples there. They were tent makers and missionaries. And then it was Crispus, the synagogue ruler. But most people that lived there were just trying to, trying to make a living. It was a good area for the economy. And so they were there just trying to make a living. And so Paul ministered in Corinth for about 18 months before returning to Jerusalem and Antioch. And making his way from Corinth, he stopped in at Ephesus. And he writes a letter there about three years later when he hears problems that are going on in the Corinthian church. And so he writes a letter. And although he doesn't often see um, them, and he writes this letter of things what not to do because there was a lot of problems. When we read the, the Corinthians letter, it could read as what not to do as a Christian. Today I want to look at some things we can learn from that letter as we read through that lens and read through that perspective. How is Paul handling the situation? In Corinth, in verse 10, there's a significant problem in the church. Uh, in verse 10 it reads, I appeal to you brothers and sisters... In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there is no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. The other says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. Still another, I follow Jesus. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You know, after the nice introduction of the letter, encouraging, he says encouraging things, 
Paul immediately addresses the division that arose in the church. And apparently, there were cliques in the church. And you're like, get out of here. Yeah, there were cliques. There were cliques. That's what happens in church. People tend to get clicky. They meet someone in fellowship. They like them, like the same music. They, oh, this guy's cool. And they, get, they start talking, and they get along. And then they start getting a little groups and going, you know what? When that minister came to visit, our minister needs to learn a thing or two from that guy. And they started talking about who was preaching and what they were preaching. And so little groups began to form in the church. And Paul goes, hey, I want you guys to be completely united. Now, being perfectly united in mind and thought is a description of what unity should look like. It's not uniformity. Uniformity is different than unity. Unity has to do with oneness, having the similar intentions, having similar purpose. Uniformity has to do with conformity, having standardized beliefs, standardized practices. Okay, that's, that, that's the difference. Some may like the idea of making things standardized. Because when you get into a group that you think that, hey, the church should look like this, or should look like that, or it should be here or that, and we start to want to other people to embrace the standardization of conformity. And Paul goes, no, no, we want unity. He's reminding them that their belief in Jesus is what unifies them. Not the opinions, not the perspective of Paul, he's great, of Apollos is awesome, Cephas, or anyone else for that matter. In our world, our differences should never result in division. In our world, our differences should never result in division. Because Jesus is our standard. And when divisions occur, the answer is not more uniformity. The answer is more unity with intention and purpose. Because people are going to walk through these doors and from your oikos. And they may not be at the same level of maturity that you are. We don't standardize it. We're just unified in Jesus. People are going to have different opinions and different convictions on different things that you, may, that you may find offensive or like, that's non-Christian. We need to be unified in Jesus. Because they're going to come. And these churches, are going to, these pews, are going to be filling up with people. And so we have this phrase, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, Liberty. In all things, love. Things that are not essential, there can be difference of opinion, and the way you express your Christianity based on that opinion, that's okay. Prepare yourself for that. Some of us who've been around 20, 30 years, we were coming from the standardized format, and we're trying to figure out, hey, if it's not standardized, it can appear and look scary. More Jesus. More unity. Intention and purpose. What does conformity look like? 
that we have a dress code for church. You should wear a suit and tie or shorts and flip-flops, right? One or the other. Pick one. Because dare we offend someone when they, see, when they see a church member not wearing a suit? There are people that might be offended. You might be offended that I'm not wearing a suit, and you've never told me, but you harbor it for 30 years, right? You may never, you may, you don't know, because that's, we start becoming a standardized. We have to do this and this, and you got to wear a tie, and ushers have to wear a lanyard. Those are nice things if we decide to do those things. But unity is much more important than conformity. If we want to be a unified church, the one thing we need to agree on is this, is that Jesus is Lord. And after that, love. And a whole lot of love. It's very difficult when you, when you see people that you love are rebelling. The temptation is to control. When people you care about are struggling and rebelling and defiant, our, our human nature, at least mine is, I'm confessing, is to control. What's needed is love. But I tend to want to slant to control. No, no, that's not what they need. That's not what the church needs. The church needs love. Because out of the, out of the greatest of the three, love is the greatest. When we talk about preparing for yourselves for your oikos, it's our love for each other, regardless of our differences, that wins their hearts. When they come and see our fellowship, and they see our love despite our differences. That wins their hearts. People love coming around your oikos and around you because you're loving people. And, when they, and, and people, are, people know people. When you get a group of people, there's a lot of different opinions about stuff. But what they need to see is love. And that wins their hearts. In essentials, we have unity. You know, we believe in you being a disciple. We believe in you being a baptized disciple. We believe that. Those are essentials. Jesus is Lord. But there are other things that are non-essentials. You probably have 13 categories that you think are non-essentials that you want to put in the essential category. You can't do that. And that's where we're going to have some differences. And that's okay. The way people date in the church is going to be different the way you experienced it. We're having this discussion with the campus ministry. We want them to create their culture. Because my culture is different from their culture. How I grew up in the church is different from them. And who am I to impose my standards, my convictions on them? Dating's not even in the Bible. There's arranged marriages. So, because I, mean, I experienced it one way, does not give me the right to impose it on another group. What, 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 what we want to do is ask the campus, what do you guys want? This is your ministry. This is your group. What do you want? So we're going to have that conversation. And it's going to be cool. Because I'm not in the business of running around trying to monitor behavior. I haven't been done that in decades. I'm tired of that. Who wants to do that? Who's following? Who wants to do that? Love. If I'm calling you, it's because I want to love you. When, I, when, you hear, when you see my name on your phone, because I want to go love up on you. 
not complete a task. Sometimes I do that. But if I want to hang out with you, I'm going to go hang out with you. And we'll do something fun. I love doing that. It's our hearts. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. The second thing to do in your oikos, or to prepare you for your oikos, is to strive to know Jesus better than you do right now. Strive to know Jesus better than what you do right now. Paul's background is very interesting. He was born into a devout Jewish family, a little bit like May. May was born into it. I mean, she started going to children's ministry after birth, right? He was the son of a Pharisee. He was the son of a preacher. He became a Pharisee. And he was a well-known persecutor of the Christians. And after a miraculous face-to-face encounter with Jesus, he became a Christian. And later on, he was invited to go to a city called Antioch by a guy named Barnabas to help build a Christian community there. And he endured a number of hardships from both the Christians and the Jews including several life-threatening encounters. He wrote much of the New Testament, had miracles, had visions, and could make the case for Christ better than most. It's interesting, though, that when he arrived in Corinth, after all he had learned and all he had done, he decided to know only one thing, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. I relate to that. When I was younger, I wanted to know, I'm like, hey man, just Jesus Lord. I'm like, he's Lord. Just, if, you can, if, you can, if you can get that, you're well on your way. And I appreciate, you know, you guys is trusting me and supporting me uh, as your minister. And I don't take that lightly. I spend a lot of hours, I do a lot of research in trying to feed the flock. Next week, I'm going to do a, a, a lesson on the power, the powers of darkness in the heavenly realms. I probably clocked in about 100 hours just on that sermon alone. I've been working on it for months, I would say a year almost, reading material and reading and absorbing it. And next week, if you want to know about what's up there, be here at 4 o'clock because it's going to get real. I'm not saying that in boast. What I'm saying is this. My prayer is that, you know, I have a Bible study. I have a quiet time. I pray. That's outside of my sermon prep. It's not, what I feed you, it's not a substitute for yours. Like, we shouldn't show up on Sunday hoping to get your weekly meal from the Bible here. 
Like, I want to launch you. I want to give you something worthwhile. That's my heart. I want to send you with some with some carne asada or some arroz con pollo or something edible, something, something, something vegan if you want, something good. You, you, you leave here going, I, I felt good. But it's not a substitute for you not reading and you not learning and you're not you know, waiting for the Sunday sermon to, to feed you again. So I just wanted to let you guys know, this is an area I think the church can grow. We can grow in this area. We can feed ourselves. But yeah, we'll give you something to, to eat as well. So if you want to know Christ better than you do right now, you're going to have to resolve to know Him and only Him, and it's going to take some work. It's going to take training. If you want to be effective in your oikos, your oikos, and being literate with the Bible, you're going to have to study it and learn it. Because your oikos is going to have questions. And once in a while, he'll probably ask a question that you just legitimately may not know the answer to, and you bring to someone who does. But you can, should, be, should be able to answer the basics. Like, why did Jesus come? What happened in the Garden of Eden? Why, why is the cross important? Why do I have to get baptized? Those some basic questions you should know. If you're going to prepare yourself for your oikos, you're going to have to know Jesus better than you do right now. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. All right. We're getting somewhere. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned each to his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, Paul describes himself as a co-worker in God's service. You know, when God made Adam, he, he, co- he co-rules the earth with Adam. When God made the church, he's with us. It, we're, we're his partner. He has the ability to change the hearts in your oikos. We're just the servants. And the Corinthian church, he calls them God's fields. And God's building, the ecclesia. The church in Corinth was at one time on the front burner of Paul's life. And even though it's been three years at at the time it passed, and he's currently living in Ephesus, they were still on his mind. Even though Corinth and Ephesus... about 250 miles apart on the ocean between the ports, Paul was able to maintain a connection with the church. He did so by writing letters. He received visitors from from Corinth. He sent workers. And at least on two other occasions, he visited personally. My point is that he stayed connected. Another way where you can prepare yourself for your oikos is to stay connected 
even when distance becomes an issue with people in your oikos. Stay connected. Because you might have some people in your oikos that don't, don't live in the area, but they're in your oikos. They're, they're, in your, they're in your relational world. Like my parents don't live in the area, but how in the world are my parents going to become Christians if I become too distant? So I need to talk, call them, go over there. And when you go over there, it's so stressful for me. I get so stressed going there. You think I'm, I'm, you think I'm 47. When I go there, I feel like I'm 13 again. I don't know if you relate to that, but in my Latin family, we're like Latin Italians. We insult each other with, and just saying hello. You walk in, you're, you're too fat. I'm like, that's just hello. You look weird in those glasses. I have to wear them, bro. That's my brother saying hi. And then we hug. It's weird. But that's my family. And I go there and my dad wants me to do one thing. He always has work for me to do when I get there. Whether it's paying a bill for him that he can't understand, or he's suing someone that I have to read documents, there's always something I have to do. And I'm totally exhausted. But I do it anyway. Because he's my oikos. I've been doing it for years. My dad had a water leak in the house. And the insurance guy comes over and goes, yeah, $2,000. My dad's like, wait a minute, there's a lot of damage. And then my, my dad um, told my brother. My brother told me. I went over to the house. I looked at it. I said, there's more than $2,000 damage here, uh, uh, Dad. And, then my, then my dad, and I, I thought, hey, so, hey Dad, I'm going to give you a, a name, and I want you to Google it. What's Google? Okay, I want you to get your computer and then type this name in the little space bar. What's the space bar? Okay, G, I'll do it for you. So I wanted to help, but I wanted to keep my distance. But I couldn't. Because my dad doesn't know Google, doesn't know space bar, doesn't know any of that. So we called another independent adjuster to come down. And he took care of the problem for my dad. But I leave there very stressed. You're, you have children and you have relatives that are in your oikos, and there's some distance between. They're physically uh, not near you, and your, our kids are getting older, and they're going to be going off to college soon. Keep connected to your oikos. Don't let geography be a reason why you're not emotionally close to them. Don't let it be. If they're in your oikos, stay connected emotionally and spiritually. Whatever the case, it's just important. For Paul, this didn't mean leaving Ephesus when he was there, but it meant staying aware and it meant staying involved in the church at Corinth. And I want to just thank you for giving me the latitude to lead Shoreline, you know, the way I, I feel God is calling me to lead this church. This oikos is a big shift for us. And I appreciate the latitude that you're giving me. And I hope it works out for our church because I, I really, really, really believe in this principle. Our relational world is there. And if we're, if we're dedicated and patient, it'll work, and God will work in your life, and you'll see yourself becoming a very effective and fruitful Christian. Preparing yourself for your oikos means staying connected to your oikos, no matter how painful and stressful or exhausting that 
might be. I love my parents, but they stress me out. Already you've already already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You have begun to reign. And now without us, how I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. Can you can you feel the sarcasm? For it seems to me that God has put up some apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle. To the whole universe, to the angels as well as to the human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored and we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty and we are in rags and we are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. The final thing I want to say in regards to preparing for your oikos is that your oikos is going to hurt you because it's a relationship. And Paul's reputation in Corinth, Corinth was in tatters. It was bad. It was taking a beating. People in your world, because they're, you, you do life with, they will hurt you. They will hurt your feelings sometimes. They'll say things that are negative and hurtful. It doesn't mean you go, hmm, you were on the list, and now you're off. <laughs> That's not what we do. What did he say? When we are slandered, we answer kindly. That's what we do. You're saying, Gio, come on. Yes, that's what we do. We don't go on Facebook or Instagram and talk about an unknown person that made you, you know, we don't do that. We answer kindly. Even when they slander us, even when they hurt us. In the Corinthian church, man, those factions arose and they were dividing believers into camps and many started to call Paul foolish, weak, he's beneath us. And the irony was that Paul was anything but those things. Yet he was unwilling to retaliate. He was unwilling to abandon them. I can't abandon my oikos. They're there. You know, my kids are in my oikos. Soon they will leave me. It's already starting to happen now. My kids are, are hardly ever home. They go out and they do stuff. I'm like, where are they? And then this is me and Karen. Luckily, I'm in love with this woman right here. Imagine you have kids and you, you put your whole life into your children and then they're gone and you look going, who's that? That happens. Happens in real life. The person goes, I don't know you. Because all their attention was to their kids. Thank God for the men in my life who have always taught me to focus on my, my marriage and my wife. Because the best gift I could ever give my kids is a great marriage. That's what I can give them. Paul was unwilling to retaliate. Why? I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you 
as my dear children. Because he loved them. There are times when I get annoyed with people who are on my list. There are times when I feel offended and often hurt. But what kind of Christian would I be if I acted in that kind of manner where I just lashed out at them? It's going to happen because it's your relational world. When your boss is on, in your oikos and he mistreats you and slanders you, what kind of Christian are we going to be? Prepare yourself to love your oikos more than your oikos loves you. Prepare to love them. You know, on paper, this sounded kind of cool on paper. Until you, you sift down into it going, wait a minute, I can get hurt here. Wait a minute, I have, to, I have to really love them. Yeah. This is way harder than going to share with 13 people and getting 12 no's and a maybe. That's easy for me. That's really easy. And if you think that's good and you call me a Christian, I'll do that every day. Because it's easy. Share, want to come to church? No, want to come, want to come, want to come. I'll do that all day, every day. To me, that's easy. And I'm not sounding arrogant. You know what's hard? is loving when they say, oh, love. Oh, they hurt me. Love them. Hey, oh. And, and keep going after them with love. That's hard. That's difficult. Going home to 2612 Damien Avenue is hard. I have a lump in my throat when I go there. It's difficult. It makes me insecure when I'm there. Am I? Heavy? Am, am I? Maybe I shouldn't wear these. Okay. It's hard. It's hard because I give and they don't give as much. That's hard for me. Because when I give, I want to be given to a little bit back. So prepare yourself to love your oikos more than your oikos loves you. You think we can do that? So here we are. This is one of the, you know, there's many, there's a couple parts to this, but I think I'm going to take a break and then I'll, I'll, I'll fill it in as, as the year goes along. If you'd like to learn more, and you're, if you're visiting with us, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, ask someone that brought you here, and they'll help you. But if that's too much, don't worry about it. We believe that you can belong here before you believe what we believe. That's okay, too. You can hang out here. We'll, we'll love up on you. Keep coming. Keep being, keep being a, a participant in our services. We love the fact that you're here. But if you're interested, yeah, just ask someone next to you or ask, ask me. I'd love to do that. With that, let's bow our heads in prayer. God, thank you so much.